0: I want to thank everyone who was here yesterday. Like Jeremy said, it was really neat watching everybody out there. And I tried to blow the leaves. I had to go ahead and work on my message after a while. But it was a great morning, and so proud of the youth uh, for going out as well. And you know, we're taking care of our home when we have these work days, and I think that's really I think, important for us to think about. You know. This campus is obviously just absolutely beautiful, and, and we love it, and we are so blessed. The building, the campus, is, it's like our family home. And I think this is important to think about because the church is not a building, church is not a campus, church is people. It's, it's a movement, uh, it's action, and you know, think about your, your own home you live in your home. Your home is a huge part of your life, right? And, and, and you don't stay there all day long, though, is the point. You go to work, you go to school, you know, you hike Badger, whatever you do. But then you go home. Why do you go home? Well, it's where you spend time with your family, with those you love, your close friends. They come and they, uh, they spend time with you in your home, your house, You prepare for the journey of life, and and you 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 come back, and you celebrate your accomplishments, and you share with those you love. That's our church building, and that's our campus. This is how it should be, and I think sometimes we we get this a little bit confused, and we think that church is a place we go, and it's a building. The building's a critical part of the journey, don't misunderstand me, but the building was never the church in the New Testament, right? At all. In the New Testament, church wasn't a place you went to. It was a people that you joined. It was a family who you identified yourself with. And this beautiful building, this beautiful campus, we're so blessed with this home. And, and I really want to thank everyone who came to, to take care of it. And we're starting a, a kind of a short series today. Called "Be the Church," and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what the church was created to do and what the church was created to be. Now we're going to end on September or November, excuse me, twenty-first uh, 21st, November twenty-first, 21st. and now we usually have our all-church meeting the the week before Thanksgiving. Normally it's Thursday night and we have a huge family-style meal and and just hundreds of people come uh, to the gym and it's a wonderful time of celebration. And we're going to do it a little bit differently this year. We're going to start the all-church meeting in worship in the sanctuary that Sunday morning on the 21st. And then we're going to go over to the gym afterwards and we'll have a, a big, nice meal and we'll have our business after that. But The deal is we want our our business of the church to be intertwined with worship and intertwined, bathed in prayer, because that's what the church in the New Testament was all about. You know, when I think of church, the the first thing I think of is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, that's the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus' followers, and from that moment on, everything changed. Acts and Luke, the Gospel of Luke, were meant to be read together, and I'm not sure we always realize this. Uh, They're written by the same author. It's volume one, volume two. It's it's a two-volume work. So the first volume uh, is Luke's Gospel of Jesus. And it chronicles Jesus' birth and his life and his teachings and his miracles and just everything and up to his death and resurrection. Acts of the Apostles takes up where the story of Luke ends. And it intentionally echoes the gospel of Luke. It actually mirrors the gospel of Luke the more you study it because generally if Jesus did something in Luke there's at least one if not more stories of the church doing the very same thing in Acts Jesus healed a paralytic in the gospel members of the church heal a paralytic in Acts Jesus taught in the temple in Luke the members of the church they teach in the temple in Acts Jesus raised the dead in the gospel of Luke well, the church does the exact same thing in the Acts of the Apostle, pretty much everything that Jesus does. There's at least one story, and often there's two, and often in Acts, there's a story of a male doing it and a female doing it, there's partners. It's really an amazing thing. The job of the church in the Acts of the Apostles, it's to do what Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke. That's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It, it, it chronicles what the apostles did things that only happened because the Holy Spirit was with them. Now we're gearing up for our living nativity. And uh, if you haven't been here during Nativity time, uh, you you have something really, really special to look forward to, I'll tell you right now. So year after year after year, uh, parts of the Nativity changes, parts of it's always the same, but what stays the same is the reenactment of the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, their their birth stories of Jesus, baby Jesus. And and the stories of baby Jesus, the shepherds and the wise men and the Roman centurions and, you know, the angel Gabriel and and just, of course, Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus, uh, being born in the main because there's no room in the inn. Those stories all come from the first couple chapters of Matthew, first couple chapters of Luke. In beginning of Luke, all of the main characters in the beginning of Luke that surround the story of the birth of Jesus, every one of them, Luke tells us, are filled with the Spirit when they're introduced. Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Simeon, John the Baptist, baby John the Baptist, Luke tells us each one is filled with the Spirit as he introduces them in the birth stories. But the deal is, once the Spirit descends upon Jesus at his baptism, Jesus is the only one through the whole Gospel of Luke who is said to be filled with the Spirit until chapter 2 of Acts. Acts. And then at Pentecost, Jesus' Jesus' followers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And and they're supposed to do, because of the Spirit, they do what Jesus did, is the deal. So right after the Spirit descends upon them, people notice this change. They're watching them, and they realize there's a change, and they want to know what's going on. And so Peter, he gives a very long sermon in Acts that explains the whole thing in chapter 2. It's most of chapter 2, as a matter of fact. It's all in Pentecost still. And he explained what God had done through the life of Jesus. His life, his deeds of power, his death, and his resurrection. All part of God's plan, his ascension. It, it was all part of God's plan. And it was for a purpose. I want us to listen to uh, Vinny and, and Barb read the passage after their response to Peter's sermon. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42, NIV version. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, we're going to unpack this and the next story in Acts 2 this week, next week, uh, over the cu- next couple weeks. But it's, I, I want to focus on something. It's, it's vital, I think, to us to understand our, this is our history, this is our legacy, this is our heritage, this is our call, and, and we need to get this. And we want to steep our annual meeting this year in the New Testament vision of the church, and and it's right in this chapter. Next week, we'll talk about what the early church did, the things that they did, the things that we're supposed to do as a church if we want to be a church modeled after the church the Holy Spirit initially birthed. But before we can talk about that, what we're supposed to do, I think we have to talk about what brought them together in the first place. Because the same thing should be the main thing that binds us together. Like I say, you can't really understand the Acts of the Apostles without going to the gospel story of Jesus. It's like the gospel is the key to understanding the Acts of the Apostles. And so you got to go back to Luke. And if you read Luke straight through you're going to see over and over Jesus warning people that they're headed for a huge crash. Especially when he gets to Jerusalem. He tells them, if you don't do something, if you don't change your ways, it's going to get really bad. Really bad. And the issue was, Jesus said, they're living a life that is... Very different than the life that God wants them to live. It's the exact opposite. He said God had called their people to be a light for the world, but they were ignoring that call. He said they were living for themselves. They were proud. They were arrogant. They were ignoring the poor, he said. They were embracing violence, he said. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And the deal is, Jesus here is just like an Old Testament prophet. I mean, this could come out of the mouth of Amos, out of the mouth of Micah, any of those. Luke 13, 5, he says, unless you repent, you're all going to perish. And this happens over and over and over and over and over again. And he calls them to change their ways. Just like... Israel's prophets had done in the Old Testament. But a twist happens, something that the prophets were unable to do, but something that they said was going to occur one day, Jesus took their rebellion upon Himself. As the Messiah, Jesus took their shame upon Himself, and He offered His life as a payment for their sin. So on the first day of Pentecost, after the Spirit descends upon the followers of Jesus, Peter's sermon explains what Jesus had done and what God had done through Jesus. And he explained that their rejection of Jesus in the trial on the cross was the culmination of rejection, a lifetime of rejection of God's ways their rejection of God's plans, their rejection of God's desire. But Peter also explained in Jesus' resurrection what it meant for them. Just like Jesus had said over and over and over again, they were headed for a crash. It was inevitable. It was something that they couldn't stop by themselves. They They were about to head over a cliff and there was nothing they could do to stop it. So the new season of Yellowstone starts tonight. My wife and I have been preparing for it by watching the first three seasons over again. You've got to take these things seriously. So John Dutton, played by Kevin Costner, He's kind of like the godfather in a modern-day Western, if you haven't seen it, and at least that's how I see it. He's a godfather. And at one point, he's out camping with his grandson, and he's just had surgery, and his grandson falls into a river, and he's being swept down the river, and he's gonna drown in rushing water, there is no doubt. There's nothing he can do about it. So Dutton runs ahead jumps into the river downstream so he can catch his grandson before he drowns. I'm not saying John Dutton's Jesus. I mean, he is like the Godfather. He's not a very good man, but that's beside the point. What I'm saying is these people, before anyone argued about atonement theories, I mean, before Paul even described what happened on the cross, Peter's sermon on the first day of Pentecost basically told the people they were headed for disaster and there was nothing they could do about it. crash was absolutely imminent, and it's going to happen. The water is rushing, and they're going down that river, and they're about to drown. But he explained to them that Jesus ran ahead, stood in the middle of the river to catch them before they hit the waterfall. Because on the cross, Jesus was standing before they swept downstream to save them before they drowned. It was something they couldn't do for themselves. The message that Peter gave that day was incredibly simple but profound. He said, you need a Savior. You need to be rescued. You cannot do this on your own. Jesus came to do for you what you cannot do on your own, by yourself. Simple as this. They were leading lives that were completely counter to God's desire for them. But on their own, they couldn't stop it. There was nothing they could do. But Jesus offered to do for them what they could not do for themselves. They, were, they heard his message And they asked Peter, what shall we do? And his response, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were rescued that day. And a movement began that would grow to change the world. And it was based on one thing, and one thing only, salvation in Christ. This is what brought them together. This is what they had in common. I mean, when the story starts, we're told, and it's intentional, all of these people, they all speak different languages, and they're all from different countries at this point. They all have different ethnicities. And they have nothing in common, is what Luke is trying to tell us here. But through the Spirit, they all can understand. What we're supposed to hear is, on our own, We can't even communicate with one another. And the more we rely upon ourselves, the worse it's going to get. They had nothing in common other than an experience of Christ. And this is what brought them together. This is what bound them together. This is what the Holy Spirit brought into their lives, into their hearts. They chose to identify first and foremost with Christ above anything else. They turned to him. He saved them. This is what repent means. We've talked about this so many times. In Greek, it's metanoia. In Hebrew, it's shuv. And and it's simply the verb in Hebrew to turn, to, to turn your life. Shuv. You turn away from where you've been going and you turn to God. That's repentance. You center on Jesus, nothing else. You turn from where you've been going. And baptism is like the new Exodus. You come from the water. Just like God's children in Exodus, if you remember the story, the Red Sea saved the people from slavery to Pharaoh. We join together in the waters of baptism as the children who have come from the water. And we have left slavery behind, traded bondage to sin and death. For an experience of freedom, for an experience of life, life abundantly like John, Jesus talked about in the Gospel of John, forgiveness of sin means we're saved from the ways we were going back when we were leading ourselves for ourselves. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, it reorients us, our lives, and and we're able to follow Jesus together. That's what happened in this crowd in Jerusalem on Pentecost. Jesus saved them from an imminent crash. And in turn, they reoriented their lives around Him, and the world changed. They were so different. They came from such different spaces and different races and different places. And on their own, like I said, they couldn't even communicate with one another. But because they were bound by this one common thing, they became family. And they shared life together. That's the early church. And what was this one thing in common? They all realized. I think this is so, so profound, and we miss it because we're so used to it. But they had one thing in common their realization that they needed a Savior. Every one of them. On their own, they came to the conclusion, and it's a humble decision, that I can't do it on my own. This is a move of humility that I just think we're lacking. Our world is lacking. I mean, we think we can do it on our own. And this is what we value. What do we value? We value power. We value strength. We value money. Things. You know, it's, it's, it's about the self. We think our things will save us. We think we can save ourselves. And those are the very things that Jesus told the people are going to bring you to ruin. They were living their lives as if they could save themselves. We have the exact same problem in our world today. Because it's our human condition, right? And we need to hear Peter's Pentecost sermon so desperately, with new ears, because we need a Savior. Someone that can do something for us that we can't do on our own because we're headed over a cliff, we're rushing down a river and there's a waterfall and it's coming closer and closer and closer and we can't save ourselves. Acts 2.39, Peter says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all those far away, everyone whom the Lord God calls to him. That's us. They're children who are far away. But the Lord is calling. You know, Acts 2 can be our story. And it starts when we accept Jesus' offer to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that's salvation. I mean, Jesus offers us salvation. Salvation is rescue. Rescue. And that's not just going to heaven when we die. Uh, You know, we're programmed to hear that. And of course, salvation includes a promise of heaven, and it includes a place in the new creation forever. But salvation starts right here, right now. This side of eternity it starts when we realize that we're rushing down whitewater rapids and it's gonna crash. This is an imminent potential danger that doesn't have to happen because Jesus' arms are stretched out wide. A life can change right here, right now. 3,000 people on that day said yes and the church was born. Their lives were changed. A community was birthed and it can happen again we can be the church we can be the rescued we can be those who have repented the the baptized people the people who brought together by one common thing only one thing and that is salvation in Christ so what happened in the rest of Acts well because the Holy Spirit was with them like I said, the church did what Jesus did all through the gospel acts. The church do, does in the Acts of the Apostles because that's the call of the church. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to do what Jesus did. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what the early church did, what their, their commun- community together looked like and about our call as a church in 2021 and 2022. But you have to go back to that first Pentecost, and you've got to go back, and you've got to listen to Peter's call. And we have to realize on our own, disaster is imminent. We have to turn to Him as individuals, as a church family, We have to look to Christ and Christ alone as the source of our salvation. Then and only then can we be the church. But today it's about the shared, common, central experience that brought them together the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. We refer to this as communion. What's communion? It's being together, being one. In the midst of our differences, in the midst of our divisions, in the midst of our humanity, there is one body because of the one cup Jesus offered his life that we might rise above our divisions and experience true communion bonded grafted together in the spirit on the night in which he was given Jesus took bread and he blessed it And he gave it to his disciples. As he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It's broken for your pain. It's broken for your loss. It's broken for your hurt. It's broken because on our own, Were broken. And he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. And he gave it to his disciples as he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Because there is one cup, because there is one loaf, we who are many are made one through the Spirit because of the Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us, the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Make us one with each other one with you, one in ministry for all the world until we together feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, Father Almighty, now and forever. Amen.